This is 365 Tech by Sweets. This is part three in our 12-part series on the book The Inevitable, Understanding the 12 Technological Forces That Will Shape Our Future by Kevin Kelly. If you haven't already, check out the first two episodes on becoming and on cognifying, because today we're going into the third technological force, flowing. Flowing is the ability to copy without constraint. If something can be copied, like a book, a movie, or a song, it, it will be copied. The digital economy runs on this river of free-flowing copies, and formerly, solid products that were made of steel and leather are now sold as fluid services that continue to update. An example of this is the car in your driveway. It was replaced by Uber. Uber is now an on-demand service where you can have the ability to get a copy of any car without constraint in your driveway in a matter of minutes. Grocery shopping and getting purchasing of household items um, is now replaced by voice. I can ask Google or I can ask Alexa to instantly buy something and it can show up at my door in two days. And Prime Now, I can even have any of my grocery items within two hours. These items flow from stores to my house. The ability to copy any of these products and get a copy in my possession is as easy as having a thought and voicing it. These are rivers of uninterrupted betterness. Everything is going to continue to update because products are no longer in their physical form and we're buying copies and we're accessing flows rather than these actual products. Let's take a step back and check out the history of the computer metaphor and the three stages of computing. During the industrial age, computers imitated the metaphor of the office. Set with, we had a desktop, there were folders and files, and files were the basic unit on the industrial age's computing metaphor. Next, the principle of the web. The basic unit changes from the files to a page. Pages are filled with hyperlinks that connect different files and images in other pages together. In the present, the basic unit has become flows and streams. We scroll through Twitter feeds, we scroll through Facebook streams, and we look constantly through YouTube streams to find better and more real-time and present videos. The basic units on these are tags, likes, and favorites inside of these flows and streams. In addition to the metaphor shift from the basic unit going from files to pages to streams, we had a time shift as well. During the industrial age, tasks were all accomplished in batch form. You paid your taxes once a month. You paid your utilities once a month. Then in the web age, the digital age, we expect things the same day. We transferred all the way from batch work up to same day, just like that. That was a pretty quick change. And think about it, when we made a transfer on our bank, we expected it to be show up on that same day, not at the end of the month. And people expect to be able to fill out and complete a form the same day. Why do you have to wait an entire month to hear whether or not you get approved for a credit card when you could find out if you're approved instantly? Now in the present, we expect everything in real time. Even faster than same day, we expect to be able to access, use, maintain, and get feedback on all of our systems in real time. The corollary to the statement is that in order to operate in real time, everything has to flow. This creates infinite streams of flowing 
and uh, what we call that, the infinite streams of flowing, intermingling information, um, we call that the cloud. The, the cloud is the new organizational metaphor for computers. The cloud is where all information is stored, it is constantly and accessible in real time, and all the information on the cloud is flowing. Now hold up, if everything is constantly flowing, how do we pay for that? Who's, who's paying for that and where do we make our money? Glad you asked, informed listener. The universal law of economics is actually one of the points that Kevin Kelly brings in, which says that the moment something becomes free and ubiquitous, its position in the economic equation inverts. So in music, originally we had theater halls filled up and people had to pay in order to just hear a single original copy of music. Then in the industrial age, when exact copies were able to be produced at cheap costs, anybody was able to pay for it. So people were able to have access to this cheap and ubiquitous form of entertainment. Then in the digital age, music became free. We were able to stream and access music in real time. And once it became free, the hard original copies actually gained value. The ability to buy a vinyl now became a little bit more... Um, enticing for someone who wanted the quality of the music and the originalness of that sound. Candles and electricity followed the same path. Back before electricity, everyone needed candles in order to have light. With the advent of electricity, the ability to have light became practically free as a commodity. As a result, the wealthy then began to, in special occasions, use candles as a form of light. The inversion of that source happen. The, when something becomes free, the position in the economic equation inverts. So when copies are super abundant, they're worthless. As a result, the question is definitely viable. What is better than free? If we continue to move towards this world of flowing and streams, how does anybody make money? Kevin's got the answer for you. There are eight better than free qualities that are generated at the time of the transaction. The first is immediacy. If you can get a better copy delivered to your inbox the moment it's released, you're going to go for it. If I have a Kickstarter and you have the early bird special, which means you get the first copy, you're going to pay a little bit more to get that first copy. If you know that an artist is about to release a new album and you're able to get access to the album as soon as it's produced but before it's released to the general public on streams, you're going to pay for that to get that additional immediate access. The second generative is personalization. You can get any recording of a concert for free. You can see them live on YouTube in real time. But if you could find a version that was acoustically perfectly tuned to your living room or to your speakers, you'd pay a little bit more for that customization or personalization. In a book that's custom edited by the publishers to meet your reading backgrounds, maybe providing definitions to words you don't know or um, increasing the font size to fit your reading needs. You're going to pay for this personalization of the book. And a, a movie can be free on Netflix, but if you could have that version automatically filter out any sort of explicit content such as uh, sexual content or bad words or violence, and you're a family man, you may want to pay for that free... You might want to pay for that version. The third generative is interpretation. In a world where everything is free, the ability to interpret is something that people are willing to pay for. We live in a time of massive data, where data is flowing in accessed in these massive data sets. Well, 
although we have access to these in real time and for free, such as through Twitter or other data sources, the ability to interpret those are things that we're willing to pay for. Massive companies might have access to their billions and billions of data points, but they don't know what it means, which is why they'll pay for data scientists to interpret that data. In addition, we've got stuff like the travel industry, where you've got access to go anywhere in the world. To be able to interpret what the different uh, travel options are is a service that people are continuing to pay for. Healthcare, as even though we have access to all of our medical data all the time, and as we continue to get these flows of personal information provided by wearables and other medical services, we have access to all of this data. The ability to interpret and tell us what this data means is going to become more important, and is, it's, although it is still important. The next generative is authenticity. In a world of free, having an authentic, verified copy is something that people are willing to pay for. The main point in the main realm that this generative applies to is music and the other arts. So, like, an album by the band Fish, well, Fish is a bad example. An album by uh, Grateful Dead, if it's got the artist's stamp of approval somewhere on the vinyl casing, or it's got a signature on it, or it is verified as the original uh, Grateful Dead album, people are going to be willing to pay for that versus an original copy in the form of art like a painting if it's got the signature on the bottom from the artist and it's um, it's a verified copy by the artist you're going to be willing to pay for that over one of the reproduced free copies on the internet the next generative is accessibility in a world where everything is free the ability to access is critical think of a service like iTunes although we can go onto YouTube and find a song for free or we can go onto a torrenting site and find something for free iTunes offers us the access to all of those songs in real time. As soon as we have the impulsive thought, I want to listen to this, Spotify or iTunes gives us the ability to instantly hear that song and gives us the access. They provide us that access, which I'm willing to pay for as a student. I pay for Spotify. It's not very expensive, but I'm still paying for that over any sort of free service that I could go and use it might, because of the accessibility to those services. Embodiment is another generative that will still add value in a world where information is free and ubiquitous. Embodiment is the aspect of being present and being there when something is happening. So an event that is streamed for free. An example of this is Google conferences. Almost every Google conference that exists now is streamed for free and live in real time on the internet. You can find them, register for them, and then watch them. In addition, you can pay a couple thousand dollars and visit them, generally in California, where you can be there embodied in the experience. You're paying not for the information or even the access to the information, but the embodiment, the feeling of being there with other people in real time and experiencing it in a single body. In addition, gamers, although they like to game um, spread out across the world, and we have that possibility of not having to be present with the other gamers, to be able to sit in the same room with other gamers is an experience that people want to have. The, the ability to embody, like in a tech talk, or a TED talk, although you can watch a TED talk online for free, any TED talk throughout history, the ability to sit there and listen to the speaker give the presentation, to see him and to experience that with him, to have that embodiment is something people are willing to pay for. The next generative is patronage. People want to reward and to support the artists that are producing content. So as a result, they want to pay creators, but they're only going to do this under four conditions that are generally not met. The first being, it must be extremely easy to do to pay the artist. Two, the amount must be reasonable. Three, there's got to be clear benefit for them paying the artist to offer this patronage. 
and four, it has to be clear that the money will directly benefit the creators through their patronage. And the last generative people are going to be willing to pay for discoverability in this age of flows and for ubiquitous information. A work has no value unless it's seen. So the ability to discover something or a service that offers the discoverability of things that you want to see, something that people are willing to pay for. This has already existed in the past in the form of stuff like TV Guide. TV Guide didn't offer any content itself, but it did offer you the ability to discover other content from major service providers so that way you could go and view different TV channels based off of what they recommended on TV Guide. Netflix is a modern iteration of this. You don't pay for Netflix, some people do, some people pay for Netflix just to have access to the movies, but the recommendation engine, the ability for Netflix to see what you've uh, watched in the past, to recognize what's been newly released, to recognize the trends that exist throughout all of the viewers on the Netflix platform, and then to offer recommendations, part of that is what people are paying for when they pay for Netflix. The discoverability is important. So these eight qualities, these eight generatives that are qualities that are generated at the time of purchase, those are what are going to allow for success. Distribution, the ability to distribute physical items used to be important, but now distribution is nearly automatic. Because of the web, things can be accessed in free form in these flows in a ubiquitous fashion anywhere in the world. So now, rather than distribution being the main driver of success, these eight generatives are what are going to drive success of the future. The transformation from fixed mediums to fluid inflowing mediums follow a series of repeatable steps, or an algorithm. To explore this, we'll look at the books and how they transitioned from fixed to fluid in the form of ebooks. Books have four fixed elements to them. One, the fixity of the page. The page always stays the same no matter when you pick it up. You can count on the page being the same, meaning that you can reference to it and be certain that it's only going to have one thing in it. The edition is also fixed, so when you buy a copy of a book, you're sure that you're getting a specific edition. For me, as a student, when I go to the store and I need to buy my college textbooks, I'm buying a specific version, and typically my professor has given me an explicit version of the text that I need to read. Each version of a book is fixed and contains the same information. You're, you know without a doubt that each version contains the same text in the same format as every other copy of the same version. The object itself, as the book, is fixed. As long as you don't um, destroy it, books can last a really long time, and centuries longer than their digital formats because uh, of the hard copy and physical nature. And there, the text doesn't change in that object. The last one is the fixity of completion. So a book contains with it the sense of finality that it's, it's done, it's complete. Part of the attraction of this is that it's not constantly being edited on like a lot of digital formats and that when you buy a book, you're confident that you're buying a completed, finished copy. Now let's compare that to the fluidities of an ebook. The, an ebook has fluidity of the page. The page is a flexible unit. You can read an ebook on a Kindle e-reader, I can read it on my phone, I can read it on a full desktop, I can pull it up on my com actual computer screen, and the size of the page changes depending on the reader and what technology they're using to access it. 
the addition is fluid. If you're a teacher, you might access a certain version. And then if you're a student, you might get access to a different version. And if you're a student and your age is under 18, you might be given an, another version of the story. The version of the story that you're getting is different and it can change. The container of the book is free. I can store a book in storage on a library's computer server. I can keep it on a uh, my Google Drive in the cloud where it's stored for free. I can keep it stored on a hard drive that's carried in my pocket. The actual container that stores the data of the book is fluid to change. And lastly, fluidity of growth. An ebook can be appended and more information can be added to it based off of what the author thinks um, is missing. If he gets feedback from his readers and he realizes that he missed an entire section of story plot, he can go back in and revise that in an ebook. And that fluidity of the growth of the book is only possible in an ebook and not in the fixed realm of the physical book. The last segment we'll talk about are the four stages of flowing. The first stage is fixed and rare. These are artisan works. They are single units. Each work takes time to complete and must be done with care and expertise. That's why it's fixed and why it's rare. This exists when the books, back in times when books needed to be created by scholars and couldn't be generated on Twitter using crowdsourcing and other forms, where each one was a single unit that required a lot of work and expertise in order to create. The second stage is free and ubiquitous. This is where the product can be duplicated so relentlessly that it becomes a commodity. So think of this in music. Music continued to be duplicated as it entered the digital realm. It continued to be copied and copied until now music's a commodity that we pay for like electricity. Or artificial intelligence is even here. On platforms such as Google Cloud Platform and AWS, I can pay for artificial intelligence as though it's a free or as though it's a commodity. I pay for it in bulk rather than on any individual level. The third stage of flowing is flowing and sharing. This is the unbundling of a product into its parts. So in a music production, you can disseminate the parts of the guitar and the vocals and the keyboard into their own tracks and then redistribute and repackage those for new uses. The last stage of flowing is opening and becoming. New products and brand new categories of products are able to be created based off of the previous stage of flowing and sharing so that the status of creation is actually inverted. The audience is now the artist and we have massive output, we have massive selection and the quality increases because the size of the the size of artist pool increases to anybody. Any consumer is now able to produce the work. We've only started to begin flowing. We've only begun the four stages of flowing in some types of digital media, but it's definitely on its way. Knowledge is going to rule atoms. Generative intangibles are going to rise above the free. Just think of the world as a flowing state. Thanks for joining me today with flowing. Tomorrow, come back because I'm going to be talking about the fourth disruptive force, screening.